what happens when Catholics receive the sacraments? And how do they heal our deepest wounds? How do we experience their full grace and power? Join us today as we answer those questions and more with Dr. Bob Schutz, who is the founder of the John Paul II Healing Center. He's also a speaker, and he's an author of the book, Be Transformed, The Healing Power of the Sacraments. I'm Father Dave Pavonk, and I'm president of Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio, and you're watching Franciscan University Presents. Stay with us. Franciscan University presents. I'm your host, Father Dave Pavonk, and I'm president of Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio. And we're talking today about the healing power of the sacraments. I'm joined by our panelists, Dr. Regis Martin, professor of systematic theology here at Franciscan University, and Dr. Scott Hahn, the Father Michael Scanlon, professor of biblical theology and the new evangelization here at Franciscan. We're also very pleased to welcome our special guest, Dr. Bob Schutz, who is the founder of the John Paul II Healing Center. Bob spent more than 30 years as a therapist while also teaching courses in marriage and family relationships, applied psychology, and marriage and family therapy. He's also taught courses of theology of the body at the Institute and the Augustine Institute. A popular Catholic speaker, he's the author of the book that we'll be talking about today, Be Transformed, The Healing Power of the Sacraments. Bob, it's a pleasure to have you at the university. Thank you. For it's always me. good. I, I, the students were very blessed by your ministry last night, so thank you for generously sharing yourself. Yeah, I, was, I really enjoyed being with them last night. Too. Wonderful. Faculty, too. Yes, <laughs> indeed. indeed. Yeah. Um, why did you write this book? What was moving in your heart that said, okay, this is a good time to bring this out? I, I think for so much, both in the world and in the church, we've separated the whole process of healing. You know, I spent my career teaching and as a therapist from the grace of the sacraments and the healing of the sacraments. And even in the healing ministry in the church, we seem to somehow put the sacraments on the side. Mm. And they're the most critical part. It's like uh, when you think about the wounds of sin, the sacraments are the healing. Pope Benedict XVI said this. He said they're healing not just of the individuals, they're the healing of the whole structure, the whole order. And so, you know, I wanted, first of all, for for people who are looking for healing to look there first, because it's it's all the power of Jesus' passion, death, and resurrection. But it's also the the reordering of society according to God's purpose and healing the primordial wound. So, I wanted I wanted that to become experiential because we know it theologically. In fact, I've been influenced mm -hmm. by you know some of what Scott's written theologically, but. We, we need to get it into our hearts, and, and that's what healing does. Would you say um, that everybody in one way or another needs healing? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. I mean, evidence of the fall, right? There's the original sin, but there's also the original wound. Yeah. And every single one of us, no matter what our families have been like, what our backgrounds have yeah. been like, we, we're all experiencing And I think the, that's what you do beautifully about at the beginning of being able to take a look at those primordial wounds and how the sacraments heal each one of those. Which I mean, well, why else did Christ come right. if not right. to heal us? We're right. all broken. I, I there think, are no exceptions. Yes, 
I think you're providing us the golden key that unlocks the Gospels. You know, so many episodes come to mind, but the one that the Catechism grasps hold of is, you know, who touched me? Yeah. Mm. Well, everybody. The disciples are bewildered by the question. No, I felt power go forth from me. And so to identify the sacraments as the powers that go forth from the body of Christ, for the body of Christ to be healed. You know, at the same time, I'm reminded of Mark 2, my son, your sins are forgiven. And then, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, rise, take up your pallet, and go home. Because the sins that have we've committed, but the sins that have been committed against us, paralyze us more than that poor man's ailment, you know. And so the external healings are still happening today, thank God. But the interior healings, I think, are not happening nearly as much as people really need. Yeah. Yeah, maybe a, a more clarifying question. Do you think most people are aware of the need and what <laughs> it is that they need healing? Yeah. Uh, it took me a long time, so I think most people are probably in that situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Well, uh, in the New Testament, the Pharisees are the least aware yeah. of their brokenness, uh, and that's what made it so problematic uh, for Jesus to reach them. Yeah. I mean, it is instructive that when the Catechism introduces of the sacraments, the celebration of the Christian mystery, that section, section two, is festooned with, adorned by the image of the woman uh, who had suffered this mysterious ailment, this bleeding for 12 years. She went to countless doctors to no avail, and it was also humiliating. I mean, it was sort of a ceremonial ritual thing. She was unclean, and she doesn't touch his flesh, but only the garment, the external of Christ, which is how sacraments work, something outward, yeah. but it conveys an inward, not just truth, but power. Yeah. And, and it's, it's so wonderful that Jesus feels this power, yeah. this surge, this electrical current going forth from his body through the clothing. Yeah, and that beautiful? Yeah. yeah, and I think we have so de-emphasized that the sacraments are powerful. Right. You know, and I think that's the thing, they, they do, bring about change because Jesus is the one acting and changing. And, and you say in the beginning, though, that they are ordered towards this, these primordial wounds. So maybe speak a little bit about the primordial wounds that come from the fall, obviously, but they're a part of each one of our experiences. Yeah, I, I introduce it as, you know, there is a wound, and then th- that wound has several different expressions. So, and I think we all know these experiences. It's abandonment. Uh, I'm alone. Uh, nobody understands me. I think that's a common experience we all have in this world. Uh, I'm not loved, you know, even though God says, I loved you with an everlasting love. We don't, we disconnect from that. We don't believe that we're lovable. And then shame gets in, you know, that I'm bad or I'm dirty or I'm stupid or I'm weak, whatever those things are. Uh, Hopelessness, powerlessness, confusion, fear, you know, fear is a big one. And we see them right at the beginning of the fall in in the narrative of Genesis, right? They were naked and afraid, mm-hmm. and they were ashamed, mm-hmm. right? And and so, cut off from God, there's also abandonment, there's also all kinds of stuff. They hide themselves, right? You know, you asked the question, are people aware? I think that's, I mean, we're aware of original sin, we're aware of the effects of original sin, concupiscence, our disorders. We're also aware of our actual sins, but I don't know how aware we are that we can be healed of those those effects, those wounds. You know, you point out, what is it? Margaret Sanger, not ever feeling wanted. You know, and so that slogan, every child a wanted child, is just a mask for 
her own sense of abandonment. You know, and, and I think that, you know, it's like I, I prefer to teach Christology than to look into the face of Christ because that's daunting, <laughs> as I discovered last night in your brief meditation of just like, wow. Yeah. You know, but that's so much more important than talking about looking upon the face of Christ here with three other brothers in Christ. You know, to spend the time in prayer this morning, like, you still want to fix your gaze on me and say, you wanted me enough to redeem me? Like, you know, time out. Yeah. You know, and, and that's just the beginning, yeah. you know, of a deeper healing that is so profoundly needed by people much more wounded, I suspect, than we are. You know, I, I, you've probably all seen The Chosen. Yeah. Yeah, my well, wife and I finished yeah. it up the other day, and now yeah. we're having a crisis of withdrawal. <laughs> but there's that one yeah. beautiful scene with Mary Magdalene who yeah. lapses and then comes back, and she's standing between Mary and Jesus, and he pretty much tells her, look, I want your heart. Yeah. That, that's what I'm interested in, your heart. I want you to fall in love with me because I, I hopelessly love you. Uh, and I mean that's really stunning. It's, it's not, not a I want set your best performance, right? Yeah, and I know I'm never going to get the best version of yourself. That's that's why you're in relation with me. You're broken, yeah. but I want you to give yourself to me with all that brokenness. Doctor, how can you, or how can the individual come to a deeper understanding of what their particular struggle or their particular brokenness or the, you mentioned several of them, hopelessness, fear, abandonment. Yeah, so I, I think starting to listen into the things that go through our minds and circumstances and the things that, if you will, throw us off our game. But you mentioned in the book that those things are often lies. So is that what you're saying is to, yeah, yeah, to be, yeah, be attentive the, to that? Yeah, be attentive to uh, the things that are going on inside that are, that are not about I'm loved and I'm lovable and I'm connected and I belong and God delights in me. I mean, you know, that's... We, that's our theology, but so much of what goes on in our heart, as you're talking yeah. about, is a whole different narrative. You know, like, uh, I'm really alone, and uh, I'm not lovable, and I'm not loved, and that goes on all the time. And sometimes we have circumstances in our life where that's particularly triggered. And so paying attention to those triggers, those, those events, those relational circumstances mm -hmm. where that comes up, and then how do we deal with that you know, we know how to go to confession for our sin, but do we know how to go to Mass mm -hmm. with those places and, and allow the whole celebration of the Eucharist uh, to be touching those areas? Yeah. yeah, I mean, what you're pointing out in the book is that we embrace lies and we believe them, uh -huh. and they become a kind of truth. Uh -huh. you know, I'm reminded of a TED Talk by a woman at least 10 years ago. She begins by asking the audience, how does it feel to be wrong? And they're like uh, embarrassed, yeah. it's awkward and all of that. Yeah. No, you're wrong. Because you know? <laughs> what, what it feels to be wrong is it's the same as it feels to be right. What I really should ask you is how does it feel to find out that you're wrong? Yeah. You know? yeah. And how does, it, how does it feel to find out that you've been believing lies, mm -hmm. your own lies, that you've been telling yourself and allowing other people to mm -hmm. tell you as well? You know, that's, that's like a train derailment, yeah. you know, but it's necessary because you're going in the wrong direction with that. And those, those become barriers. That's the importance right. of them. They become barriers even to the sacraments. You know, how many people have gone to confession and they're dealing with all this shame? Sure. sure. And I've been forgiven. I hear the words of absolution, but I can't. 
Yeah, if we I don't see, believe I'm lovable, right. if my mind is constantly telling me that I'm not lovable, I'm not enough, it, in one sense, it doesn't matter what the priest says. Right. It, it's just... I'm, I'm the judge, right? So, so the, the solution to that is? Well, I think we need to bring the places of our woundedness into the sacramental celebrations. Okay. Uh, just to, to allow Jesus to meet us there. Uh, in those particular ways. It's like going to the doctor's office, you know, you yeah. might have five or six different places where you're wounded. Right. You don't just show them the one that hurts the most, you have to show them all, you know, and you also don't leave the office wondering, why wasn't I cured of all of these, you know, wounds? Because it's a process. Yeah. And, and unlike most doctors, this divine physician will give you all the time in the world. <laughs> yeah, and he's yeah. not going to charge you. Yeah. 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 So there is this disconnect. Uh, I, I think of Bernanos' comment, blessed be sin if it teaches us shame. We're all yeah. sinners, but yeah. the, the trick is to feel the shame. Yeah. You can suppress that, uh, and, and that's even worse than the shame. And that, I think, is what you're, you're describing. How do we overcome that, I mean, that impediment? I, don't, I, I know something's wrong, but I'm not going to talk about it. I'm not going to think about it. I'm just going to put it out of yeah, my I'm mind. Yeah, I'm just going to go Take forward. Take flight from yeah, it. Yeah. And then I'll become, like the Pharisees, a good religious performer right. doing all the right things, yeah. but my heart's not alive. Yeah. yeah, I mean, when Jesus says, you know, why am I sitting with eating with tax collectors? Well, you know, those who are well don't need a physician. But yeah. that's ironic and a veiled polemic because the Pharisees are sicker than the tax collectors and even those who are infirmed. And I think that good Catholics can easily back themselves into it. At least I know one, I you know. know, I know another. And, uh, <laughs> and, and to recognize that, you know, Jesus brings people into our lives to show us our own brokenness, the woman who's weeping and washing his feet, you know. If only Simon the Pharisee had said, you know what, I think I'm hosting this for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. But, and and that's, that's a step in faith, to, to invite, you know, the Catholic who's approaching the sacraments, to invite her to a vulnerability mm -hmm. and to invite him to an intimacy of which they may not be familiar to. So how do you, how do you help that person come to that place? Yeah, that's where community, I think, is really important, which is what, you know, Eucharist isn't just me and Jesus, right? right? Baptism isn't just... All the sacraments are communal. They're all communal. And how well are we living out, and that's really the, the, the fundamental healing, how well are we living out the reality of the sacraments in our communities? Yeah. And if we're living them out and we've received mercy, and now we're a community of mercy, and now we can come to each other with some of our deepest shame and mm -hmm. come of our deepest places of fear and not be, a sh not be uh, paralyzed by that, but right. being able to say, okay, this is, this is what I'm dealing with. Mm. And to have our brother who's received Jesus or our sister who's received Jesus experience. be able to look at us with Jesus' eyes of mercy. I mean, that's really, St. Augustine says, you who have received have now become, yeah. right? Yeah. And so how do we become not just receivers of the sacrament of reconciliation, but reconcilers? How do we become not just receivers of the Eucharist, but the living presence of Jesus? And when that happens, then we can encourage people to go deeper in their sacramental experiences. And I think, I think it's that community that, mm -hmm. that builds. And that, that unifying experience, which is Eucharist, uh, sort of presupposes that first unifying event uh, when everybody together confesses their sins and we all 
beat our breast right. three times. That sense of solidarity, I think, is really quite moving. Yeah. Everybody's doing it. Yeah. I mean, but everybody's no, saying, I have sinned. It's yeah. not we. Right, right, right. Not my wife, not my kids, <laughs> right. but me. Yeah. I, I have to take ownership Big of this. Diff. Yeah. Yeah. Against one another. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. And I think, honestly, just to that end, I think this is kind of a personal thing, but I think we skip through that. I don't think we understand the full power of what's taking place with that prayer. It's like, okay, let's get through this so that we can get. But again, it goes to your, this communal sense that the individual is repenting and he's a part of this body and this community. Yeah, and, yeah. and, and besides the sacrament of confession, how much do I then share with my brother and ask for help Amen. in Amen. that place? Great, uh, stay with us. There's more to discuss on the healing power of the sacraments. The reason why the sacrament of reconciliation is particularly essential is that, as the church, church teaches that sacrament reconciliation, that when you come to that sacrament, you're coming to not only um, the physical person of the priest, but you're coming to uh, a reality with the experience of Christ himself. So when the priest in any sacrament comes in, into the celebration of it, he's coming into the person of Christ or in persona Christi, as the church teaches. So what better way to receive from the sacrament of reconciliation than to receive it from Christ himself so that when you walk into that confessional, you're not just simply meeting your um, ordinary priest or your pastor, but you're meeting Christ himself. back to Franciscan University Presents. We're talking about the healing power of the sacraments with Dr. Bob Schutz. Um, doctor, when you, when you look at the book, it's the sacraments by their very nature are healing. So maybe just uh, the, your thoughts about the sacrament and, and how in and of itself, each one of them, there's a healing encounter. I think sometimes we think of sacrament of the sick as that's the one that deals with healing, but you would say all of them deal with healing. So maybe, how does that work? That relationship between the sacrament, the individual sacraments, because you do a beautiful job about each one is ordered towards a healing of, of some part of our life. Yeah, and so if I, and early in the book, I talked about healing identity and mission. And so every single sacrament brings us healing by bringing us into a particular kind of communion. Okay, always with Jesus, but with others right. also. And so, Healing is always about communion, always about restoring what's been broken in communion. Uh, and that communion is to the depths of our being, not just outward, but inward. And then out of that, the sacraments, each one of the sacraments give us a particular aspect of Jesus' identity. Uh, so for example, in, in holy orders, um, you've, you've taken on the Father's authority, right? And so from the fall, everything is in disorder. You know, we see it, we see chaos everywhere, right? And so what are we missing? We're missing holy authority. Holy, the authority of the way that Jesus lived the authority, which is authority of serving, not an authority of domination, right. right? So in holy orders, you take on that very authority, not only of Christ, but of the Father. Everybody calls you Father. And your mission is to restore everything back to order. So you, as the as the presider of all the sacraments, mm -hmm. is the agent that Christ uses to pre preserve order. Order back in. Yeah. So baptism is, you know, what's, what's the primary wound of the fall is this sense of being cut off from love. And in baptism, as we talked about last night with the students, in baptism, we enter into Jesus's, I am the beloved. 
Mm. So our identity is beloved son or beloved daughter, and then our mission is to bring that love into the whole world. Yeah. Uh, so each one of the sacraments has a healing component, has an identity component, and has a mission component. And I think we stop at, uh, I don't even know if we get yeah, into any of Yeah. <laughs> But you can only give what you've got, and if right, you get right. Jesus, you've got to give him away. Right. Yep. That's when it's love, when you diffuse it, radiate it out. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think my experience is that as I worked with people over all the years, one of the places we suffer the most after our broken communion is in our identity, mm -hmm. is like how we see and understand ourselves. And yeah. You know, John Paul II's famous line, you are not the sum of your weaknesses and failures, right. yeah. you're the sum of the Father's love, and they're very real possibility of becoming the image of the Son. And so the sacraments are the, are the agents, the grace, the means, and they're not just events, they're, they're relational realities that we live, they're doorways into a life. You know, when you talk about uh, the healing, the identity, and the mission, it reminds me of what St. Thomas Aquinas taught about the sacraments. And he's really just kind of unpacking what Jesus himself exhibits and lives out that, you know, the human life that Jesus lives, you know, begins with birth, but you're not just a newborn child, you mature and you grow into perfection, and then you have that moment of calling into mission, you know, and mm -hmm. likewise, baptism makes us newborn children of God, but we grow and we need to mature and be perfected, and that's what confirmation is doing, and that is, you know, inseparably tied to baptism as a sacrament of initiation, but you also need to be fed and nourished through the Eucharist. And then the sacraments of healing, the reconciliation of penance, and at the same time, the anointing of the sick, extreme unction, but the sacraments of calling, of mission, you know, it basically touches upon every pivotal moment of a person's life from the cradle to the grave. And it shows that when Christ lived the human life, he wasn't just kind of experiencing to get yeah. through it. He was healing it at every stage. Every stage. And we have to go back to earlier stages where we haven't been fully healed and allow him to show us that, you know, why do you limp emotionally? You know, why are you staggering, you know, morally? Uh, it's because of these wounds. And it isn't like presto, they're gone. Right. Now you can just do the 440 or something. But uh, yeah. it, it's so humbling because it's so gradual. Mm -hmm. And yet you realize, let go and let God. And, if, and you know, if, if you wanted a, a, a sort of overarching principle, I, I think there is this particular sequence which, which strikes me as really stunning. I come to know who I am by first knowing who Jesus yeah, is. Yeah, the consequence of knowing that, learning that, tells me who I am. And not only who I am, my identity, but what I'm supposed to do, my mission, my purpose in life. Why am I here? Yeah. If I could share a story out of, that really struck me about the power of the sacraments out of my brother's life, and I talk about this in Be Healed. Mm -hmm. The brother who, uh, Scott's brother and my brother were- Best friends. Best friends. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and they got in trouble together. And, yeah, and got us in trouble. Yeah, too. got us in trouble too. <laughs> or we got them in trouble, whatever, whatever. the case was. Yeah. Uh, so but my brother- got blame right yeah, here. Yeah, right. <laughs> so my brother, after my parents' divorce, became a heroin addict and all kind of stuff uh, messed his life up. Yeah. After I went on a renewal weekend, he got left out of jail. He came to live with me, went on the renewal weekend, had a confession. And after the confession, he poured everything out. He then was in his shame of realizing everything that he had done for the first time hmm. and hated himself. 
just absolutely hated himself. So the grace of the confession was so powerful that it brought up all of those areas of his heart that he'd been burying. He went out in front of the sanctuary and knelt there and was saying, Jesus, how could you forgive me? How could you forgive me? And Jesus said, has your family forgiven you? Yes. How? Through you. Well, don't you think my priest, who I've particularly anointed for that purpose, has the power to forgive you in my name? Mm. At which point the dam broke, and he yeah. wept and wept and wept at the foot of the altar. Three years later, he's on his deathbed. He had gotten a heroin needle. He got AIDS from a heroin needle. In the meantime, he found his identity. Mm-hmm. He said, "I'm going to be a person with AIDS for Jesus." Mm-hmm. And God used him to heal relationships in the family with my dad, with my brothers, sisters. Mom, heal another person who was an atheist with AIDS. Mm -hmm. And then on his deathbed, we invited a priest in to give him the sacrament of anointing. He was in a coma. We were, my brother and sister and I were going, running, planning his funeral. We come back, he's sitting up in the bed. He'd resurrected. (laughs) And he was trying to walk and he couldn't walk. And uh, we said, Dave, Dave, stay there. Say, what happened? He said, when I was anointed, Immediately, I was brought to heaven and saw Jesus face to face. Oh, my God. And he says, yeah. he said, Jesus said, it's not your time quite yet. I've got more for you to do. In two weeks, he got to reconcile with his daughter, mm. his daughter's mother, who he had never been married to. Uh, all members of the family came to see him in those two weeks and the healing that happened. And when I saw those two events, the healing sacraments, mm. the impact not only in his life, but in the family, the relationships outside of the family. You know, talk about healing, identity, mission. It was like, I'm sold. Well, there were two things that, that occurred to me reading the book and then listening to the story is that, first off, that the sacraments are communal. The, the, the sacrament that your brother experienced impacted. So, so it's never, nor is our relationship with Christ merely. But then the other is the way they're knitted together. Yeah. You know, that the sacraments are knitted together and draw you into the other sacraments and it creates something not just beautiful in your own life and your healing, but in the people that are encountered that as well. Yeah, very much. You, so. d- you think maybe Jesus thought this through? <laughs> yeah, maybe. Maybe, yeah. Yeah, and maybe yeah. he wanted me to witness it and yeah. share it with people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's beautiful. And in each of us, right? Yeah. That's a, an extraordinary story. Yeah. 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 So how old was he when he died? Uh, I think he was 43. Mm. Yeah. Yes. So over 25 years ago. But isn't that the nature of conversion? And, and obviously the sacraments leading us into conversion. It doesn't matter where we are, but a deeper understanding of our identity in the person of Christ. And that, and that process, that journey is never finished. Uh, please, Lord, that we are continually being transformed by that. And that's one of the great blessings of continually being able to participate in the sacraments, that each day maybe we hear something different. Yeah. We hear and encounter the Lord. Yeah, and I meet so many people say, well, I want something dramatic like that. Well, it isn't always dramatic like that, but we all, we're, yeah. our lives haven't gone that way so dramatically yeah. either. Yeah. But even day by day, grace by grace, we can look back and say, oh, yeah. I can see it. Yeah, I have to speak with great discretion on this matter, and you'll know why, because since our friendship began a few years ago, you know, and I realized your brother Dave, who died, 
was my brother's best friend. You know, not only did I share that with my brother, and we had drifted apart for years, yeah. you know, but then you sent him a copy, a signed copy, and he read it, yeah. you know, and this has brought Fritz and me back together again, yeah. restoring a friendship. I mean, we have a long way to go, but we've already gone further than I ever expected, yeah, you know. Yeah, Thanks be to God. I mean, the healing mm -hmm. that takes place is not dramatic and it's once and done and over, you know. It's, it's gradual, it's but it's startling, you know, and it's, it's fun, it's difficult, you know, and that's true in every single relationship that we have with our parents, with our siblings, with our own kids, you know, with our in-laws <laughs> and everything else. But I mean, Christ knew this. This isn't plan B. What am I going to do now that the first, you know, couple has failed? Right. Uh, apart from me, you can do nothing was always true from eternity. And so to recognize that the Word becoming flesh was always meant to be, and that the healing that we need will always come from Him. You know, it's so exciting to share the truth in the classroom. It's yeah. so much better to experience it in your private relationships with brothers and, and, and my wife. Well, when you consider, uh, you know, the sheer impact of, of Christ's uh, incarnation, uh, the eruption of eternity uh, into time, when He plunges into the sea, of, of history and humanity, those waves go to the very ends of the earth. And if you're in Christ, well then why shouldn't you also be part of that widening, expanding, enveloping uh, process? That's, that's the calling, right? That's the mission. You know, I, I've done this teaching with groups of non-Catholics. Mm. Uh, and I can show them, and a part of this was your influence in what you wrote, but I can show them where every sacrament they have a form of it. Yeah. Uh, you know, they say, well, I don't understand sacraments. Yeah, you do. Yeah. You, you don't practice them yeah. in the same full way, but here and here and here and here and here. And so everybody in Christ, at some deep understanding level, recognizing yeah. the I power did that of a number of years, a lot of years ago. I wrote a little paper doing that with the 12 steps. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And being yeah. able to recognize in the 12 steps the, whole. the grace of the sacraments. Yeah. Um, you spent some time talking in the book about how our brokenness blocks at times the grace. Maybe speak to that on how how that can be fixed, how we can let that be impacted yeah, it, by the grace. Uh, that's one of the things we talk about in our healing the whole person and be healed is like when we're wounded, very few of us have the capacity to respond appropriately by bringing that to Jesus and allowing it to be healed and forgiven in that moment. So what happens, we form barriers around our hearts, self-protection, we call them walls, but mm -hmm. they're formed by these identity lies. Uh, you know, one of the ways in which we decide not to trust is, you know, the fear wound is I'm not gonna trust. If I trust, I'm gonna get hurt again, so I'm just gonna be self-protected, and we begin to make vows of, mm -hmm. I'm going to take care of myself. I'm going to protect myself. I'm never not going to let that happen again. I'm never going to let that happen again. I'm not going to be like my mother. I'm not going to be like my father. I'm not going to be like my older brother. And those become a prison because what's happened is we've stepped out of grace in that moment and into the ungodly self-sufficiency, which is a part of the fall. Mm -hmm. And so our hearts, as the catechism says, become hardened by those kind of uh, self-sufficient Mm -hmm. responses and the lies that we believe. And that becomes, and the Catechism talks about this under forgiveness, those, those become barriers to receiving mercy and then barriers to giving mercy. And so love is blocked 
both in giving and receiving. Yeah. And because we don't know what we don't know, we can't see what we can't see, we don't recognize that these resolutions that we made in pain and anger and sadness have become something like vows. And so right. the circle is a closed circle. Yeah. And we end up being trapped in it. But again, how does it feel to be wrong? The same way it feels to be right. But when you find out you're wrong, it's like, I want out. Yeah. I want out of this lie. I and want it, out of this circle. That's really we'll the be work right the... back. Okay. Yeah. That's a nice try. We'll be right back uh, for more Francisco University Presents. So please stay with us. I heard Bob speak on campus and he had us reflect on the baptism of Jesus and place ourselves on the shores of the water. And he led us through this Lexio Divina meditation where he just had us imagine that we were there gazing at Jesus and him gazing back at us and just walking with us through our struggles and what we wanted to give over to him and how he's there to heal us from all of that. What if you discovered a university with unmatched science, faculty, and programs? A place where you didn't have to choose science over faith. At Franciscan University of Steubenville, you'll find faith-inspired, student-focused, research-driven programs leading to satisfying careers in medicine, scientific research, engineering, computer science, and many more science and health fields. At Franciscan University of Steubenville, education is more than just a word, it's a discovery. Welcome back and thank you for joining us. You're watching Franciscan University Presents, which we record here at the Communication Arts Studio at Franciscan University of Steubenville. Our students are operating all of the cameras and the equipment and members of our theology faculty, Dr. Regis Martin and Dr. Scott Hahn, and I are discussing the healing power of the sacraments with Dr. Bob Schutz. Uh, Dr. Bob, you spent some time talking about the each particular sacrament, kind of focus in, in offering a particular healing and particular grace in an area. So uh, the one I thought was really quite, actually they were all beautiful, but the one about marriage, and, and maybe speak to that, so the, the, the wound that we bring, you guys bring in, I don't bring in to, to marriage, <laughs> uh, but then how the sacrament brings healing you, to that. You're married also. Yes, yes, indeed, <laughs> indeed thank you. Thank you. Just to remind yeah. you. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I tell some of my own story in that, and uh, just growing up in a family where my parents were divorced, and they taught marriage and they taught it sacramentally. And so it was a double wound. It was not only the wound of the breaking up of my family, but it was the wound of, can I trust the truth of what the sacrament is? You know, and Feeling betrayed. Feeling betrayed in that and, and at two levels. Yeah. Uh, and again, we talked about those inner resolutions. I wasn't conscious of doing this, but I made a resolution that I would never divorce mm. like my parents and I'd never be unfaithful like my dad. There was all kind of, you know, things that I had vowed without being conscious of it. Well, what it did is it created this fear in me. And so I talk about the sacrament of marriage, healing the wound of fear, uh, because the family is meant to be the basis of our security, our fundamental security, right? So in, in the family, when love is present, children grow up secure, secure, mature, and pure. But to the degree that that's missing, Insecurity leads to immaturity, leads to impurity. And, and so without realizing it, all of us in the family grew up with this level of insecurity, which every child does to some extent, but, but in a profound way I experienced that. 
And I remember when my dad left feeling fear just by the lack you of... You tell the story about afraid that the robber's going to come into yeah. the house, you could hide from him. Yeah, right? yeah, pull under right, the covers, exactly. right? Yeah, and I don't know if every child did that. I was older. I was 13. Okay. But, uh, you know, if I just pull up the covers over my head, then I'll be safe. Yeah. Because I didn't feel safe. I didn't feel sentimentally safe. And it really shows you the covering of the priesthood in the church, the covering of a father and a family. When there's that kind of security, children's heart can rest. You know, when the f husband is loving his wife, the children can rest in that. Mm -hmm. When that's broken in any way or divided, you know, I, I say that every child's heart, you know, the two become one flesh. Every child's heart and every child's being is a mixture of mother and father. And to the extent that mother and father are together in love, the child's integrated. To the extent to which mother and father are pulled apart, the child's heart is, is torn and ripped and divided. And, you know, in, in the case of divorce, it's, it's you know, just severed. Uh, and it's, it's, it's like an emotional abortion. Mm -hmm. You know, just this ripping apart. Uh, and I felt that profoundly when my parents divorced. Just sat there and sobbed and then didn't cry for 20 years. Mm. So what I didn't realize is when I got married, I had two vows going on. I had my marriage vows, which were made in the Holy Spirit, and they were made for better, for worse, or richer, for poorer, to love, honor, and cherish my wife, and to give myself as a bridegroom to her, like Christ did to the church. That kept us together. But this other hidden vow almost destroyed our marriage. And it was me living out of fear. <laughs> me living in self-righteousness, you know, I'm going to be better than my dad. Right. It created the Pharisee in me, you know, of, of I know what's right. And I remember one time, I talk about this in my book, Be Devoted, I remember one time convincing my wife that I'm going to be committed uh, mm -hmm. to our marriage. And she said, I don't want your blank commitment. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I want your devotion. Mm. And I was like, oh my God, I've been doing this out of self-righteousness, out of my own fear of reputation. Repetition. Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I hadn't dealt with my wounds. That really was what opened up my wounds. I started having anxiety. It opened up my wounds. Yeah. And then I began to face the places with that, and that began to restore our marriage. You know, you know, marriage is always an ongoing grace. But Amen. during that period of time when I was going through that, my children developed an insecurity at the same age I was when my parents had divorced. I mean, all this came to the surface kind of mysteriously around that same time. Mm -hmm. But then as we worked through it, you could then see their growth and security and my wife and Margie and I growth and security so that when she died, it was really a beautiful experience. Uh, talk about this in real suffering. When she died four years ago, uh, we were all surrounding children, grandchildren, sons-in-law. And I had a very profound sense of handing her back to Jesus, the bridegroom, and realizing that I loved her imperfectly, uh, but I had had the, had the grace of the sacrament to love her, but now she was going to live the real mm. thing. Mm. And what a joy it was, uh, sorrow, deep sorrow, but what a joy it was to say, through that hard time, the sacrament kept us together. Mm. The, the sacrament allowed that moment to happen. Right allowed that time of intimate generations of kids that are growing up secure 
because of what God did. And the ripple effect that that has on their families and on their kids, yeah. Most men, I think, have special difficulty acknowledging this. You know, I think movies depict Mark, Mark Wahlberg or Bruce Willis, they're always tying their own tourniquet. You know, they're always cauterizing their own wounds. It's like, real men can't do that, you know, even if they deceive themselves into thinking that they can, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's this old trope, hurt people hurt people. Yeah. And it seems trite, but it's profound. No, it's profound. It's very profound. You know, while I was reading Be Transformed, we were also uh, perusing a manuscript by dear friends of ours, Ted and Beth Sree. Yeah. And Beth is a child of divorce. Yeah. And, you know, after years of marriage, and a marriage that didn't just look happy, it was beautiful. Yeah. But there are wounds, and not just wounds from your childhood, but wounds that start in the marriage oh, itself. Right, right, right. You know, and, and Kimberly made this point this morning to me in conversation. She said to me, you know, the sacrament of matrimony isn't what kind of prevents wounds from happening. It's actually what exposes yeah. the wounds yes. that we need then Christ to heal. Yes. And it's just like, bing, 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 yeah. bing, you know, it's like that, Eureka. That's so true. It yeah. is, and it's not just in a manuscript for their, you know, their marriage. It's like, yeah. we're looking at each other like, yeah. <laughs> for us as well. Yeah. yeah, I walk with so many young couples and then when they get married and all of a sudden they're surprised that this extra level of wounds has come up. Yeah. And it's like, why are you surprised? Now you're secure that's enough. That's the purpose that's of it, right? Right, right. that's yeah. part of that, the, the purification. It, it would be a really awful thing if, if marriage would, would only crystallize the wounds, <laughs> the hurt, the dislocation, but couldn't remedy any of it. Yeah. And, and yeah. I think yes. it may have been uh, Pope Benedict who suggested that marriage is really uh, the answer to hell. I mean, hell is when you say to God, I don't want to love, I don't want to be loved, I just want to be left alone forever. You know, the self-centered self. You yeah. get what you want, uh, solipsism uh, forever, infernal frustration. Marriage somehow overcomes that. Because, I mean, to the extent you're open yes. to the beloved, yeah. there's a transparency, an utter honesty. You share everything, and that means the shortcomings, yes. the failures. Yes. And you do it together, and you constantly have recourse to grace. And, to every, grace. Yeah. and every day is a living out of that sacrament. Every day. Yeah. And choosing that. Yeah, one, like all the other sacraments. The quotes I love from Catechism says re related to marriage that the Holy Spirit is uh, readily available to the couple. <laughs> I mean, always. Yes. If, yeah. if we could maybe just speak a little bit about, uh, and I appreciated the, how holy orders kind of heal some of the confusion related to marriage. Maybe speak to that. Yeah, I think about the confusion we're in as a church right now. Uh, but I think back to the Reformation and the confusion that happened at the Reformation. And from my understanding, uh, you all would probably be much more expert in this, but my understanding is that Luther at first only wanted to limit the authority of the Bishop of Rome. He didn't want to do away with it. He didn't do, want to do away with any of the sacraments. But that one little mm -hmm. tweak yeah. undermined the authority of holy orders. Right. And then you just saw the domino effects of people leaving mm -hmm. the church of priests like Martin Luther going out on their own, and then each of the sacraments then losing. And so what we lost, and, and again, it was a whole cultural experience, but what we lost was the whole order of society. Because in the holy orders, you know, it's like what fell, what fell in, again, I'm, I'm speaking the covenants here, but right. what fell in the fall that God tried to reestablish in every covenant, mm. 
is fully reestablished in Christ and meant to be established in the in the sacrament of holy orders, the end of the apostles, the successors. And if you've ever thought about that as a as a whole line from there to here of apostolic succession, you know, not just from Jesus, but from Adam to here with the covenants, then that's the only order that's ever been in society. Yeah. Right? It, it's, the only, mm-hmm. it's the only thing that has brought s- yeah. society back into the truth of who you are. So in preaching, as the prophet, the priest speaks the truth about right order. As king, he serves to reestablish that order. And then as a priest, he offers sacrifices and he, he prays and intercedes and counsels to bring people back into that order. So it's healing on every mm-hmm. function. And it's for everybody, just like marriage is for everybody, mm-hmm. the holy orders is for everybody. You know, I think of the Dallas Charter back in 02, when it really first confronted the abuse and zero tolerance, the crackdown on priests, and a lot of it was so good. But only years later did we realize that the bishops had not brought that upon themselves. And so they continued doing things which only deepened the wound in the body of Christ, only deepened the doubt. You know, I think men in general, but fathers in particular, have the greatest trouble acknowledging their own woundedness and imperfection. And you take that to the supernatural level of spiritual fatherhood. And I can imagine that priests recognize that I'm a father, but I'm more than a father. Less than a father biologically, but theologically a super dad, you know. And it, it... Reading your chapter on holy orders just opened my eyes to how God is so patient in waiting for priests to acknowledge their brokenness Mm -hmm. so they can really bring deep healing. You know, you see it in the Franciscan community on campus. You know, uh, perhaps we idealize, but at the same time, we recognize that the brothers, the friars there, are praying together. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure they're also feuding at times. Never. But years ago. No, you're absolutely right. What you said was you're absolutely right, is, is to the degree that I have experienced that, that I can participate in the ministry and sharing that with other people. You said you can't give what you don't have. I mean, yeah. absolutely, exactly. Scott. Absolutely. Yeah, when, when we and, were here for the priest retreat and you did that exercise with, with Bishop mm-hmm. Sam, who had been a mentor, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just a beautiful, that father-son relationship yeah, yeah. that gets lived out then in your fatherhood. Yeah, amen. In, in, in Eliot's The Four Quartets, he has the image of the wounded surgeon who plies the steel that questions the distempered part. Beneath the bleeding hands, we feel the sharp compassion of the healer's art. Mm. It's an ideal combination. He's a surgeon, so he's got this technical skill, but he's also wounded, so he can feel your pain Mm. because it's his own pain. Mm. I mean, this is the kind of priest you want who has been there. Gerald Van, a a wonderful Dominican, uh, uh, in his book, The Divine Pity, says, it's not just that we are redeemed from our sins, but in the very midst of our sins, we are redeemed. He enters fully into that brokenness. Yeah. Honoring now and also, you know, the yeah, wounded, wounded healer. healer. Right. Because Jesus is the wounded healer, but he also makes us into wounded healers. Yeah. But we can so easily get preoccupied with our healing, you know, and kind of ignore the wounds or vice versa. Right. Yeah. We can be fixated yeah. on our own woundedness. Yeah. Yeah. In that, that trusting in that journey, that no matter how far, let's go back to your brother, no matter how far the wounded one is, the Christ's grace can continually and always 
and sometimes becomes the biggest healer. Amen. 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 Uh, up next, our panel and our guest will share our final thoughts in the healing power of the sacraments. Please stay with us. The Catechism of the Catholic Church states that the Eucharist is the source and summit of all Christian life, and all the other sacraments are oriented towards it. When we receive the Eucharist, we humble ourselves before the King of Kings to receive Him physically. And through this reception, I believe that He can truly transform and heal us each and every day. Part of my job as co-head of altar servers for the campus chapel, um, I often lead processions um, with the Blessed Sacrament. And I don't really see the Blessed Sacrament because um, I have my, my back to Him. But um, as I'm processing and it's dark and we have a spotlight going, I can just see the light shining through the Luna and hitting people's faces. And for a brief moment, I see how, I see the joy in their eyes, the peace, how they're kind of transformed by that encounter with the Lord. Um, it's a very beautiful thing. There is a place where education begins and faith and reason connect. Franciscan University of Steubenville's online programs will advance your career through an e-learning experience that's both academically excellent and passionately Catholic. With online degrees taught by full-time professors in theology, catechetics, business, education, and other disciplines, you can earn your master's degree online without changing your lifestyle. Find out more today at franciscan.edu, where your faith and career can connect online. And welcome back to Franciscan University Presents. We've come to our final segment, so Regis, if you would uh, share your final thoughts with us. Yeah, uh, you know, for a lot of people, it, it, it seems rather odd that there's no particular virtue we assign to the sacraments. Uh, and and if, if you look at the church's catechesis, uh, she's got these three defining virtues. Uh, and, and the creed is faith, uh, the code, the Ten Commandments, the Beatitudes, they represent charity. The Our Father represents hope. But, but there is no counterpart of virtue for the sacraments because they represent the space, the vital space, the ambiance, the setting, the theater, where those three virtues get performed, enacted, dramatized. And they remind us, the sacraments do, that at the end of the day, Christianity is not just a set of doctrines we believe to be true, nor a series of precepts we know to be good, but a thing of beauty, uh, something that you perform, enact, celebrate. And for that to happen, you need a stage. And on that stage, we see the supreme sacrament, Christ. Somebody defined him as the perfect existential metaphor. Mm. Everything comes together in Christ. Time, eternity, nature, grace, grit, glory, uh, man, God, and he mediates everything. So when we have sacraments, we participate in the work of the sacrament, the original primordial sacrament, Christ himself. So you can't live the Christian life without constant recourse uh, to these sacred signs. And the fact that, and you bring this out so well in your book, the fact that they are somehow compact of healing grace and power is, is so comforting to know. Mm -hmm. uh, so thanks for writing the book. Amen, Amen. thank you. Uh, Scott, you find I, I want to echo Regis in thanking you for writing the book, Be Transformed, but also 
echo Regis in the sense of how reunions take place, you know, nature, grace, but head and heart in particular here in this book, you know, where objectively, theologically, the power of the sacraments, who would deny that this is what constitutes the tradition of the church as living? You know, but it's one thing to affirm the objective truth of it. It's another thing to experience the subjective power, you know, and on the one hand, you quote Father Cantalamesa, you know, who emphasizes the theological truth, but you also then quote Bishop Barron, who speaks of the church in Africa as experiencing the power of the supernatural life and grace that heals and how it brings joy, you know, and I think of the tradition and how we need to reappropriate, rediscover that. But we need to be glad trads, you know. Yeah. The heart and the head have got to come together so that we're not just angry about, you know, dissenting doctrine, you know, theologians who are off or priests who have failed or whatever. There really is a, a hope, a message of hope in the book that goes beyond the doctrine or virtue of hope. There is a sense in which when you read this, you become less and less afraid of facing Jesus and saying, not only I'm wounded, but I need you to show me where I'm wounded, and I need you to show me how we're going to get through this together. Yeah. So that, thanks. Just to pick up on that idea, it's, it's really in the spiritual poverty that the sacraments have their greatest, and, and some of that poverty is the places we struggle the most. Uh, you know, I'm years ago reading your book on the sacraments, sacraments are boring, you know, your discovery. And I think for so many in the church, sacraments are boring because we haven't engaged them at the level of the heart. We haven't, we haven't, uh, we haven't brought the places that we live every day and suffer every day and struggle every day and hope every day into the celebration of the sacraments. It's like, oh, the sacraments are over here and, and the rest of my life is over here. And, the thing that I want to communicate more than anything else is the sacraments have to be lived. They're, they're doorways into a daily decision and a daily dependence uh, on Jesus. And, and to be dependent in the places where we're most struggling, you know, where we most want to take control, where we most want to fix things ourselves, it's, it's in those places that the sacraments have the most power. Amen. Final thought? Uh, that's good. Perfect, perfect. Well, one of the things that, that I was reflecting on is, is the grace that, um, reading the book, so again, the book is Be Transformed, um, where we talk about in our able experience the healing power of the sacraments. And I believe if people uh, reach out to us, uh, we're able to get an excerpt of your book. I believe it's one of the chapters of it. So you can get this uh, written by Dr. Bob Schutz. The handout is yours free if you simply go to faithandreason.com or call the number that you'll see at the bottom of the screen. Uh, one of the things that I often will say to individuals is when they come to Mass uh, or confession, ask them to be honest in did they expect their life to be changed or be transformed in this experience? And I think those who are most honest, they have to say no. And my concern is that what individuals are getting, they're getting exactly what they expect from the sacraments. Mm -hmm. So if you don't expect anything from the sacraments, if you don't expect a transformation, if you don't expect a healing, if you don't expect a miracle, that's exactly what you're going to get. Mm -hmm. But one of the great blessings of, of my life as a priest is, is being able to see people's lives changed and transformed by the sacraments. And I could share story after story after story of individuals who come into the sacrament of reconciliation. They're frightened, they're anxious, 
they're nervous. And, and oftentimes I'll just invite them, okay, take a breath and, and invite them, it sounds weird, but to be present to what we're actually doing. So that it's not just something that, that one goes through. It's not just a drive through that one goes through. It's not just an obligation that needs to be met. It's not just the catechism says I have to do this if I want to be able to do that. But it's an encounter with Jesus. And the number of times when, when people will walk out of the, the sacrament changed, yeah. healed, restored, transformed, um, because just by the simple act of the beginning of the sacrament, inviting them to that, inviting them to allow their mind to be broadened. Uh, I think of the Eucharist, and, and as, as I was preparing for ordination, of course I knew that I was going to celebrate the Mass, right? But from my perspective to see what, what I'm able to see is a blessing and at times difficult because you can yeah. look out in the congregation, you can see the people, in, in, and I can nuance this if I need to, who, who get it, right? right? Aquinas says that how is it possible that you can be baptized and confirmed and, and receive the Eucharist but still come to the sacraments with no fire, with no, you know, that, that there has to be something that changes. And, and ultimately, I think, it, and it's what you provide in this book, is an awareness that there is something more. Like one of the things, I, I actually found the book very hope-filled is that, that you provide the opportunity time and time again to focus on our brokenness, recognize and see our brokenness. But if you just left us there saying, good luck, I hope this all works out. But what you do is you begin to unpack that, that each one of the sacraments is a place of healing for a particular area of our life. And, and to begin to transform that fundamental identity that I've been baptized in Christ and Christ is alive in me and, and greater is he that is in me than the, that which is in the world. And to be able to encounter that healing presence of the Lord in the sacraments and said it earlier, not to hold on to that, not to, to possess that, but to be able to go out now and to be able to share that. So I, I thank you for this. I thank you for your uh, fresh look at the sacraments and, and for sharing your story as well. So oftentimes it's a very beautiful, intimate glimpse into your heart and your life. So we want to thank you that. Thank you. So let's take a moment and, and ask the Lord's blessing upon all those who are viewing our program, uh, that they would come to know the power of God. Jesus, we pray for all those who are part of our program, that the next time they go to the sacraments, that their hearts would be transformed, that they would hear, experience the power, the healing, and the transformation of the sacraments. May Almighty God pour His blessings on you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Download a free handout on today's topic at faithandreason.com, where you can also watch past episodes of Franciscan University Presents. Or request the handout by emailing us at presents at franciscan.edu or reach us by phone for today's handout by calling 800-783-6447 that's 800-783-6447